Our scripture passage this morning is the conclusion of the message begun last week in honor of Mother's Day. The text is 2 Kings 4, verses 14 through 37. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn and read along as I read aloud from the word of the Lord. The context of this is um, a Shunammite woman who has made a home in her home for Elisha as he passes through. And as a result of her making this room, Elisha calls her to the room and speaks to her through Gehazi, who is his servant, and asks her what he can do for her. And I'm going to start with verse 13. Elisha said to Gehazi, tell her, you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She replied, I have a home among my people. What can be done for her, Elisha asked. Gehazi said, well, she has no son and her husband is old. (coughs) Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my lord, she objected. Don't mislead your servant, O man of God. But the woman became pregnant, and the next year, about that same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elijah had told her. The child grew, and one day he went out to his father, who was with the reapers. My head, my head, he said to his father. His father told a servant, carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and went out. She called her husband and said, Please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Why go to him today, he asked. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. It's all right, she said. She saddled the donkey and said to her servant, Lead on. Don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she set out, came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, Look, there's the Shunammite. Run to meet her and ask her, Are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything is all right, she said. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, Leave her alone. She is in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord? She said. Didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes? Elisha said to Gehazi, tuck your cloak into your belt, take my staff in your hand, and run. If you meet anyone, do not greet him, and if anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives, and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and told him, The boy has not awakened. When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went and shut the door on the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and lay upon the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hand to hands. As he stretched himself out upon him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room, and then got onto the bed and stretched out upon him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. And he did. 
When she came, he said, Take your son. She came in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. Then she took her son and went out. Let us pray. (coughs) Dear Father, we give thanks for this account of your powerful working through Elisha and your grace poured out upon this lady and her husband and her child. We ask that you would give us eyes to see your power available today, your power at work around us and in us and through us. We pray that we would understand these things as you would have us understand them so that our lives would be representative and filled with the power of prayer and the strength and the support and the encouragement of faith. And she would have your way with us as your word is applied by your Holy Spirit to our hearts. I pray that my words would be faithful and true in keeping with your word, which is alone, holy, and just, and true, being applied through your Holy Spirit to change our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. As we began examining the life of this Shunammite woman last week, we have seen that she is a woman of exceptional character. We have observed her compassion demonstrated towards a stranger, Elisha, We have observed her sacrifice in welcoming him into her home on a regular basis. We have seen her influence with her wise husband. We have also seen, as I began to read in verse 13 today, we have also seen her lack of ulterior motives. In other words, she was not doing this out of a desire for personal gain or benefit. by helping Elisha and Gehazi. She was a wonderful and gracious woman and wife. As we move on in this account of her relations with Elisha and Gehazi and her husband and then also her son, we see many further facets of her character, even as we see how the Lord dealt with her, going from uh, hospitable hostess, we see her as wife, We see her as mother, and we see her pleading before the Lord through Elisha. When we finished last week, we saw that she was not requesting Elisha to do anything for her as a result of her welcoming him into her home and providing a place for him to stay there. But Elisha was not content with that answer, and so we read of his further discussion with Gehazi. What can be done for her, Elisha asked, and this is apparently she's not there at this point, and he's considering it further. Gehazi said, well, she has no son, and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her. She stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my lord, she objected. Don't mislead your servant, O man of God. But the woman became pregnant, and the next year, about that same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. And this this principle here, this example that we see in these verses, we find joy and blessing, man, woman, or child among us. For as Elisha is not satisfied with her answer, though, of course, there is no lack of sincerity on her part when she says, in essence, I have all that I need, he goes on to seek how he can bless her 
and enrich her in an extraordinary way. The way he chooses the Lord to bless her is certainly much better than the offers he had previously made. For what wife, if given the choice? Now, what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? As Elisha offered. What wife, when given that choice, along with the choice that he did not present? Or can we ask the Lord to give you a child, a son, as you do not have one? What wife would not have answered? A son, of course. It is interesting to note that the choice she is given is certainly much less of a gift than the one she finally receives. How often it is that we consider that there are choices for us to make. And we make one that is appealing. And yet, if we were to seek God's intervention in our lives and situation and ask him for his best for us, we would get something much greater than we had imagined possible. She cannot comprehend that this is a real possibility. Don't mislead your servant, O man of God. No, my Lord, don't mislead your servant, O man of God. To her, this is completely incomprehensible and impossible. How can it be that we have choices to make? We feel even in our prayers to the Lord that there are certain things that we can specifically ask for. And yet, as we see in this example, the Lord is the one who knows how to satisfy us, and how to give us those desires of our heart which we have long since given up all hope of receiving. How can he do this? It's very clear and very obvious. I believe that what he is doing in this passage here is speaking through Gehazi, for Gehazi to specifically address the question, what can we do for this woman? The obvious answer is, give her a son. The Lord knows us perfectly. And he is able to meet our needs, those needs that we never even considered would be met, those desires of our hearts that we had long ago given up on. And that is the place where he chooses to pour out his blessings upon us. I think if uh, Neil were here, he'd be thinking about that particular principle and Patricia and both of them nodding their heads and saying yes, because how many times have we heard them both comment about the Lord's graciousness with regard to their uh, knowing each other and, and getting married. <clears throat> God is the one who provides gracious answers. And yet he does not always provide those answers. Uh, <clears throat> in the call to worship this morning, we read Psalm 127. It fell out that way. It happened to be that that was the psalm for this morning. <clears throat> and that psalm specifically speaks of children being a gift from the Lord. Arrows in the quiver of a father, a blessing so that he can contend at the gates. And I remember a number of years ago when Sandy and I were reading through the Psalms together and our devotions together, and we came upon, I guess, maybe we were reading something else. I think we must have been reading something else, and sometimes when we didn't have as much time as usual, we'd read some psalms, or it seemed like we needed some encouragement or whatever, we'd read some psalms. And I opened to Psalm 126 and read it, and somehow, either that night or the next night, read Psalm 127 as well. And uh, Randy and Neil and I were talking about this <clears throat> over the retreat time, and Psalm 126 speaks of those who have been in captivity and the Lord delivering from that and turning their 
sorrow and tears into great gladness and rejoicing. And then Psalm 127 speaks of the Lord's providing graciously the gift of children. And I remember feeling something that I had not... uh, I'm not the type of person to... Some people have a life's verse and a life's chapter and a life's book, and and the Lord laid this on my heart, and I'm, I'm not... You know me well enough to know that that's not the way I generally work. Uh, but there was something about these two passages that the Lord seemed to be indicating that these two passages were passages that he would encourage us with. This was before we had any children, and we were working on it and thinking, if this thing ever gets off the ground, we'll be <clears throat> astonished and amazed. And yet, how true it is that the Lord is the one who delivers people up from captivity and turns their tears of sorrow into glad rejoicings. And how true it is that God is the one who gives the gift of children and pours out these gifts abundantly. As we think of this situation, perhaps it is that the Lord is testing her selflessness and her generosity towards Elijah. He asks her, would you like me to speak to the king or the commander of the army? Well, certainly that would bring about great benefit to her if the king or the commander of the army were, were in her favor. As a matter of fact, we see later on, we won't be studying this, but in the life of the Shunammite, that she leaves, that they leave this area for some time as a result of a famine. And uh, then they come back. And in the course of time in between then, all of their lands have been forfeit. Someone else is occupying them. And so she goes to speak to the king. And when she goes to speak to the king, the king happens to be in conference with Gehazi. (laughs) Wonder of wonders. And Gehazi is telling the king at that point in time what what Elisha did for this Shunammite woman. And, well, fancy that. There she comes. And uh, so the king says, what can I do for you? And she says, my lands have been taken. And the king appoints one of his counselors and says, go see to it that she receives all of her lands back and that she receives all of the money produced by her lands during the time when she was gone. That's not a small gift. So as we look at this passage here, and, and, and in reality, if we consider that, she got both, didn't she? She got the one when she needed it, and they got, she got the other when she needed it. Both of those blessings poured out upon her. And yet, we consider speaking to the king and speaking to the commander of the army, and we say, that's a mere pittance and compared with the gift of a child. And yet she could have chosen that and missed the other. And so in this, we find an illustration of the selflessness and sacrifice and generosity of this woman towards Elisha and Gehazi. She truly has no answer. There's nothing I want of you. Not in an insulting way. But as a result, he is forced to come up with how the Lord will bless her. And the blessings of the Lord... You think of that. You might take your child into a very small store with a very few number of things. And the child sees something in that store he likes. I like that. But you're thinking in your mind of a much bigger toy store. (laughs) I already know what I'm getting you. (laughs) 
This is what God is doing with this woman, and this is what God does with all of his people. It is a joy and blessing, man, woman, or child among us, for us to know that the Lord is no one's debtor. In Romans 13, 7, he tells us, Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Now, if we consider what we give to the Lord, whether it's through tithes and offerings, or through opening our house to others, or through giving our time to others, our efforts, whatever we do in giving to others, we understand the principle that we are only returning a portion of what the Lord has so abundantly and graciously poured out upon us. So in reality, we're not giving anything. We're returning things that he has poured out upon us that still belong to him. And yet even as we tithe to the Lord or give offerings beyond the tithe, or whatever we give. It is true as we are told in Luke 6, the Lord speaks, saying, Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And in Malachi 3.10, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. The Lord speaking. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for us. So as we look at this, we consider this woman and her situation and the fact that the Lord is no man's debtor. Ask ourselves, do we give our time generously for the work of the Lord? Now, the work of the Lord just does not simply include the work of the church And certainly I would never be saying work of Cornerstone Chapel exclusively. The work of the Lord involves many things in many areas. Some of those things are involved in the place where we gather together. Many of those things are accomplished in our homes and in our neighborhoods, in our classrooms, in our workplace. Do you, as the Shunammite woman did, Give of your home and your work to minister to those who serve the Lord or to strangers, those who are unrelated to you. Do you give generously of your wealth for the work of the Lord? If these are characteristic of your life, then be assured you will not wind up impoverished in this giving, but instead enriched. Christ said to his disciples also, I tell you the truth in Mark 10, 29. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. In other words, now, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions, (laughs) and in the age to come, eternal life. There's a passage that says, One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Now, why is that? Why is that? Why is it that God is no man's debtor? And we can say that about something, presumably, if I borrow something from you, And then, a week later, 
or a month later, I give it back to you, you're not going to consider highly of me, are you? You're going to consider that I've done my duty, right? I borrowed it. I owed it to you. Now, how is it that the Lord treats our giving back what we have received on loan from him as something for which he will reward us? Because it is so easy for us when getting to consider that it is ours and belongs to no one else and we owe nothing to anyone else. Yet he tells us, as I've read in these passages, that we must give to him, give to his people, give to those in need, give of what he has given to us so that his kingdom will be advanced in whatever way. And when he tells us something and gives us a command, we can be certain that there is always a blessing that accompanies it. If the Lord tells us, as I read in Romans 13, 7, give everyone what you owe him, In verse 8, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Then we can be certain that it will always be true that as we give to the Lord and serve him as this woman and her husband did, that the blessings that will come will be as described in Luke 6, 38. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, poured into our laps. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And so we see that this is the measure which the woman used in her, uh, in her demonstration of love and hospitality towards Elisha and Gehazi. In reality, as we see, and there are just a few clues in our passage, one of them being that her husband said to her when she wanted the donkey, it's not the time for the new moon or the, um, what was it, the new moon or the Sabbath. <clears throat> Let's see here. Yes, the new moon or the Sabbath. In other words, she was religious in terms of Jewish practice and belief in the Lord. And she speaks later, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. In verse 30. And in these small hints, we have a clear understanding that this woman trusted in the Lord and that she was devoted to him and that her giving, therefore, was giving to him. Therefore, When you and I consider our lives, whether you're mothers or whatever your situation, we should never have the fear when we obedience to the Lord, sacrifice in giving ourselves to others, that we may run dry. If we are doing it in genuine service to the Lord, the blessings will multiply, be poured out out of the Lord's powerful and glorious storehouse of blessing. And as he pours out those blessings upon us, the blessings that he gives to us are much greater than we could ask or imagine. I'm reminded of those who preach a gospel of health and wealth for believers, proclaiming that our faith puts us in in a position where we can claim material and physical blessings from the Lord and deny the enemy the power to prevent us from receiving these blessings. And yet as we consider our passage and consider what the Lord gave this woman, these blessings, health and wealth, Whatever material things come to us, whatever physical things come to us, these blessings pale in comparison with what the Lord could and would give us if we earnestly seek his face and his blessing through our obedience. Which one of us would not rather allow the Lord to specify what he would give to us? (laughs) Now, I'm not sure what all you have in your storehouse. (laughs) How many times have you had... had, uh, 
a guest over, would you like something to drink? Well, that's sort of a, <clears throat> um, a general question. And an adult knows to say, yes, I'd like some water. <laughs> but uh, from children, frequently you get, uh, what's, what's the response? Huh? Yeah, now that you might get that response. You could easily also get the response, what do you have? <laughs> right? <clears throat> we had a, one of our neighbor boys come to the back door yesterday. Can I have another popsicle? He knew we had some, but unfortunately we didn't have any more that were frozen. <clears throat> so the answer to that was no. Well, in God's horse storehouse, who knows what's there? And so let him be the one who determines. The child grew, and one day he went out to his father, who was with the reapers. My head, my head, he said to his father. His father told a servant, carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and went out. She called her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Why go to him today, he asked. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. It's all right, she said. We see more of the family relationships as this boy is older. It's a beautiful picture if there weren't such terror in it. This is a family in a home where the child is comfortable with mother and father alike, whether at home with the mother or out in the field with the father and the reapers. A home where the growing son is welcome in both places. Both mother and father contribute to this environment. A child who is at home as well and does not go to one of the servants when he is desperately ill. <clears throat> we learn again more about the character of this woman in light of this situation. We see the compassion of a mother for her child. When this child is carried to her by the servant, we read, the boy sat on her lap until noon. This mother's life is bound up in her son. She loves him and therefore has time for him. This kind of compassion for her son is not the response that comes only when a child is ill. It is a response that arises out of a continued devotion to this child. Doubtless he sat upon her lap often as she has poured out her love and her affectionate attention upon him. It happens that this time when he sits upon her lap may well be his final time due, his, due, due to his sudden illness. <clears throat> Watch a mother with her children, and you will be able to observe the sweetness, the tenor of her character. Watch how she spends time quietly with a son or daughter, and you will see that she values her children immensely. Beyond accomplishments, she values them immensely as people. Watch how she sits with her young child on her lap, and you will see her enjoyment of this gift that has been given so abundantly and graciously to her. And you will see her priorities vividly illustrated as her work is set aside for her to pour out her life and her love <clears throat> upon her child. <clears throat> this is the sort of character that we must honor and praise in the women of our age. Not that there are no other worthy qualities, for there certainly are. <clears throat> as there are also those whose children are grown or who have not had children. But it is this tenderness of a woman that must be honored and praised and that must be cultivated among women. <clears throat> there are plenty of men who are capable of remaining as this father did in the fields harvesting, unknowing when the child is seriously ill because there is work that must be done. 
I am certainly not faulting this father, but pointing out instead the differing role of the mother. It is clear to us, as we see in this passage, that we don't need more people going out and bringing in the harvest so that the children have no home to go to and find comfort and compassion. It's important that the children be able to find comfort and compassion from a mother who can and does drop everything to minister to her child. We need homes where the mother is available for the child so that she can pour out her tenderness and lavish her time and her love on her child and children. But even as she cared for him, we read in verse 20, and then he died. And then we see even more of what this woman has made. She went up, laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and went out. She sent the request to her husband, and when he responded, why now? Her response was, it's all right. She did not panic. She immediately took action. Action in such a way that it is doubtful her husband even knew what had happened in his home that noontime. We see the urgency of a mother not about to lose her child. I think this woman had learned one lesson very well in her dealings with Elisha. I would suggest that she had learned that through the Lord there was nothing impossible. That as she took this boy up and laid him out on Elisha's bed, she laid him there because she intended by hook or by crook, that Elisha would come back and the Lord would grant her request and her child would be made alive. This is not a strange faith. This is something that we see in Hebrews referring back to the life of Abraham, who we are told believed that God kept his promise and was so adamant in his faith that God keeps his promise that he was willing even to sacrifice his son Isaac believing that even if the child was killed, that the Lord would bring him back to life in order to fulfill the promise of a nation coming from Abraham through his son Isaac. Here's a woman who I believe demonstrates a very similar... She has not had to offer her her son up, but I believe demonstrating a very similar powerful faith. There is also a freedom of communication here that is <clears throat> illustrated that is a model and example for us in our homes. She sent the message to her husband. Please send me a donkey and a servant because I need to go see the man of God quickly and return. And his question comes up, why go today? It's not a new moon or a Sabbath. And her response, simple response, is, it's all right. <clears throat> he did as he asked. He did as she asked and there were no further questions. Through this, we see a wife who had an intimate and trusting two-way communication with her husband. There was no time for debate or extended explanation. And when those circumstances come up, the communication, the ability to communicate, the quality of the communication between husband and wife is what's illustrated. At those times, is it this simple? And this is an excellent example for us. The only way in which you get it that simple at those times is by having communication that is open and upfront and clear in the in-between times. Given her goal, again, as we look at her action, we see a woman of immense faith. She sat on the donkey said to her servant, Lead on, don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. 
When he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, Look, there's the Shunammite. Run to meet her and ask her, Are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything is all right, she said. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, Leave her alone. She is in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord? She said, Didn't I tell you? Don't raise my hopes. In the midst of the action up to this point, we have not seen what is so openly illustrated here, the anguish of a bereaved mother, which Elisha sees so clearly and cannot be missed. A woman who had left home in a hurry, ridden a donkey more than 15 miles to reach him, her heart is exposed here. Why, when I did not ask for this gift, would you give it to me and then take it away? A natural question. Few emotions are more heart-wrenching than this. Not only a son lost to the... lost to his mother, a son who has not expected a special gift from the Lord given yet soon taken again. A long-lost hope, the desire for a child granted in old age, only to be removed by the sudden death of that very same child. When hope was lost, the gift was granted, only for that immeasurable joy to be destroyed with the death. The Lord was testing this woman severely. Some of you who have experienced this, perhaps through this, the loss of a child who is born, stillborn. This is one of the terrible sorrows that a mother faces. This is one of the sorrows or uh, fears that a mother can have as a possibility regarding her children. And even in this great grief, trust must be placed in the Lord whether the child lives or dies. And in this, there is great vulnerability for a mother, for she faces not only the possibility of the tragedy of the death, she faces any number of things that could potentially be devastating. A lifelong disease for her child, her child going far astray from his upbringing, and by his lifestyle bringing disgrace upon her, a child never trusting in the Lord, a child seeking the wrong sorts of success, a child failing throughout life, and various other difficulties or outcomes. I know a mother whose child was ill for some time, who when he died in an ugly way due to the illness, prayed and prayed that the Lord would be gracious and bring him back to life. It did not happen, and yet the Lord's grace was sufficient for her, but for a time her grief was uncontrollable. This is a situation just like that. But as the Shunammite woman expressed, the blessing of a child is not without its risks. And yet... We see through the glorious ending of this passage that as the Lord is the giver of life, he is also the one who controls the time of death. We see what Elisha told Gehazi, and we see this woman saying, No, (laughs) Gehazi is fine, but I will not leave you. This woman was importunate. She said, in essence, I am clinging to you because that is all I have for hope for the Lord's intervention to bring about the life of my son again. Ultimately, in the role of mothering, as in every other relationship that brings joy and blessing, we must place our trust and our confidence in the Lord for his determination of the outcome. 
And here we see how sweet it is. We see the Lord's faithfulness to this mother. There is no question that the Lord responded to Elisha's prayers. And his action on behalf of the Shunammite woman was due to her insistence on her faith in the Lord's power. She would not let Elisha take half measures. What would have happened, for instance, is... It's somewhat silly to speculate, but if she had left Elisha and headed back to meet Gehazi at home, the staff failed. And only the presence and prayer and work of Elisha was able to affect the child's resurrection. We see through this the necessity for a mother's dependence upon and assistance upon the Lord's help for her children. Those of you who are mothers... Do not be satisfied with half measures with regard to your children. This is for all of us. We see in this example this woman's courageous and insistent uh, prayer to the Lord through Elisha for her child. We must continue this so that the Lord will pour out his blessings upon us by giving life to our children. And at the end, we see a mother's gratitude for the Lord's gift of the life of her child. At the end, when Gehazi called her, she came in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. And she took her son and went out. Such a glorious picture here. In the midst of all this, learn to go to the Lord always and to find in him the solution to those difficulties that seem impossible. Trust him even when the worst happens. And never, ever forget to thank and praise him for his sovereign mercy and grace showered upon us. Let's pray. Dear Father, we pray that you would remind us through this passage of your power and your might, your gracious and tender mercy. We thank you for the gift that you gave this woman and her husband. We thank you for the lessons that it teaches us. We thank you for her character and her integrity and her husband's. And we thank you for Elisha's relationship with you that made these things possible. <clears throat> Inspire us through these things that we might grow in you. We give you thanks for all of your abundant blessings. In Jesus' name, amen.